Are you working? What kind of work do you do? We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. From the makeshift studios in Mulga Hill, New Jersey, it's Talking Ish with your commish, the official fantasy football podcast of your world champion, Philadelphia Eagles. And it took 52 Super Bowls to get to this moment, but number 52 ended up being the charm. And your Philadelphia Eagles, my friends, are world champions. And it's hard to put into words. I've been I've been racking my brain the last couple of days to try to find the words to express what this win and what this championship means. What it means to all of us, what it means to me personally, what it means to this city. When I think of the Philadelphia Eagles, first and foremost, I think of my family. And I am sure that there are countless stories of people like me who share that that feeling where you are born into a family that is a Philadelphia Eagles family. You bleed green. Like for me, my, grand, my grandpa, my pup-up, he taught my dad, who taught me, and one day I'll teach my kid what it means to be a Philadelphia sports fan. Sports in general. And I think most specifically for, for me, at least in my life, football, is that one thing that my entire family can always agree on. No matter what's going on, and what nonsense we disagree on politically, just personally, whatever beliefs we hold that are different, the one thing we always agree on is football and the Eagles. And you guys know, my relationship with my pops hasn't always been the best. I was a piece of shit as a kid. I, f- I failed and disappointed time and time again. I did things I regret, things I'm not proud of, things that brought shame to me and my family. But no matter what I did, and no matter what horrible things my family had to endure because of things that I, I did, the one thing that always brought us back together was the Eagles. And, you know, there's times my dad, like, literally physically probably would have killed me if he could, but he didn't. Uh, we could scream and curse and fight at each other, and at the end of the day, there was always those conversations of, hey, you see that article about, you know, X player? Did you hear what this guy said about the team? Did you, what do you think about the birds this year? There was always those conversations, that thing that brought back that bridge to connect us, and that was the Eagles. So on a personal level, this win, this championship, it's just like the culmination, I think, of our perseverance through all of those hard times, all of that anguish, all of that stuff, both on and off the football field. I've watched games my entire life, and throughout my entire life, I feel like the Eagles were just who I am, who I was as a person, like, Every failure they had on the field is like I've had a failure like that in my life where I've come close to greatness just to like make mistakes and screw it up. And you finally get to a moment where that's just reversed and it's different. It's like this beacon of hope that no matter how dark things can get, we're always going to be connected by this joy that you get out of watching this football team. And we can now celebrate and enjoy together the joy that this team has brought us. For the community, the city of Philadelphia, as Jeffrey Lurie mentioned in the parade, uh, in the presentation of the trophy in his speech, he said, this championship for this city means everything. It brings a diverse community of people from different cultures and religions and 
creeds and beliefs, people with different socioeconomic statuses and upbringings, people of different races and communities. It brings them all together. And much like the example from my own family, it's the, it's the one thing that can, I think, glue any two people together. We share in that joy as a community, and it is a joy that can heal even the darkest and deepest of wounds. There is nothing on earth like what it is to be part of like a brotherhood, like a rooting for a sports team like the Eagles. And it's a joy you can pass down for generations to come. It's the greatest gift I think you can give is being a fan. And while our history as a fan base has not been that great, and we get a black eye in the national media, I still think that this city deserved this championship more than any other fucking town. Think about all of the people. Just go back in your mind. You've listened to WIP your whole life. You've heard the stories of people who were around back in the 1960s when after they won the champion, the league championship, they made this thing called the Super Bowl. We just like couldn't get it done. There was terrible ownership stuff. And all of those terrible things that happened to us as Eagles fans. And you hear the stories for the times you weren't alive for. You know, all of that heartbreak and stuff that as fans has made us so cold and bitter. Like Super Bowl 15, back in like, back in 1980 or whenever it was, 1980, where the Eagles were a three-point favorite, only to get rolled over by the Oakland Raiders. The 1988 Fog Bowl, this is the one my dad brings up all the time. The Eagles, he said, this is like the best Eagles team you'd ever seen. You finally thought like, this was it, we're going to get it done. They had a favorable matchup against Chicago, and then the fog rolls in. And as if by some act of God, the Eagles are screwed once again. And that's just the way things went for Philly fans. It was things like that that just drove people nuts. And you had people come through the city, like people like Ricky Waters, who just didn't get it. He didn't get what it meant to be a Philly guy. The for who, for what, after a... Uh, after a loss in a game where he like wouldn't lay out for a little bit of extra yardage to get a first important first down. They're like, why, why wouldn't you like lay out for that? He said, for who, for what? Because he doesn't understand. There's a bond with these fans where like you give an inch, you get so much more. You give your all, you get literally legendary status from these fans. So many heartbreaks for these, this fan base, 2002. I mean, the, well, we're going to talk about it. The three straight NFC championship losses. The 2002 one where McNabb throws an interception to Rondé Barber who takes it to the house for a fucking pick six. He took it 95 yards and just buried all of our dreams. The very next year, Donovan throws three picks to Ricky Manning Jr., a guy who pretty much nobody fucking knew. He was a rookie that, no, that nobody really knew at the time, really made nothing of himself until he got to the playoffs, and all of a sudden he's a superstar. And picks off Donovan McNabb three times. Has a fucking career game. Uh, and then we all know what the, the debacle of uh, the Super Bowl 39. Where Andy just forgot that clocks existed. And Donovan threw up in the huddle. And overthrew Westbrook on a wheel route. And all the, all the awful stuff. The four turnovers. The picks in the end zone. Just miserable loser performance in the biggest stage. We've lost players like Reggie White. To free agency because of a stubborn, arrogant owner. We saw T.O. doing fucking sit-ups in his driveway and watched our hopes of going to another Super Bowl in the Andy Reid era pretty much leave town with him. We saw horrible coaches like Rich Kotite and Chip Kelly. The Chip Kelly era was in large a disaster. But guess what? 
it led to one of the greatest eras I think we will ever see in Philadelphia sports. And I felt like this day would never, ever happen because of all those things I just mentioned. But guess what, my friends? It did. Pinch yourself. Wake up. The Eagles won the Super Bowl. And now all of those memories are no longer just symbols of Eagles fandom because that's what they were before. They were just symbols of your misery as a Philadelphia Eagles fan. And that's what, those were the things you have to like hang your hat on. Like In this intro to this podcast, you heard the 4th and 26th. The only reason that was in there is because that's like one of the greater memories we have of a triumph. And ultimately, that triumph didn't end in a Super Bowl. So all of those bad things, they're no longer symbols of what it means to be an Eagles fan. Now they're just memories. And like, yeah, they're bad memories, but and you can't erase them, but it changes what they mean now. The championship changes what that means. Because those memories, they were just the symbols that used to define us, but now... We're not losers anymore. We, we, we let that define us because we were losers. And now we've won. And all of those moments, all of those moments where we were close but not good enough, that's all they were now because we got there. And all of that stuff that happened before, it's just a memory now. And those days are over. Those days of being negative, negadelphia, all that is about to change. Now we can say, we were alive for the greatest run, and not only Philadelphia sports history, but I honestly think this is one of the greatest runs in, of a team, a team's run in sports history. And it's a very special team, guys. Like you gotta, like, you got to document this in your brain and remember how great this team was. Everything you loved about this team, the players, the coaches, the, the moments, everything that happened, just register it in your brain and keep it there. Store it there because... You're never going to experience anything like this. We may win another Super Bowl, but it'll never be like this one. This one meant so much because it was the first. It was the breakthrough. It was years of anguish just explode, exploded out your head. And you saw it in the faces of everyone in the room that you probably were with. Like I looked at my dad. I looked at my brothers. I looked at my mom. I looked at my fucking wife who doesn't even get it. And everybody knew. Everybody just knew that everything was about to change for us. That we were finally fucking winners. We were finally champions. So before I get into my thoughts about what that means and how excited I am for the prospect of the future, I did want to just do something special for everybody. Because I don't think that unless you go back and you look, you're not going to remember some of this stuff. But when I tell you about it, it's going to jog your memory. So I wanted to go back and I just wanted to recap the entire season. The entire thing and just give you just like a brief little history of the year we just had because it is a very special year and a very special team if you remember back after the chip kelly era you knew that shit was over you were you were dejected because you felt like we were years away from being competitive again the rebuild was on for sure and the expectation was that this was going to be a multi-year process probably five to six years because of the number of holes there were on this team, all of the terrible contracts that Chip Kelly got us into, and then just the fact that the, the roster had been de just completely depleted of talent because of all the mistakes by Chip Kelly. And Howie Roseman, a man who was banished to the janitor's closets of the NovaCare complex, came back to redeem himself. He came back with a chip on his shoulder after what was an embarrassment 
and a complete failure of a hire in Chip Kelly, which ultimately led to him getting booted out of his own job. That's how bad things were for Howie. But he took it in stride. He brought in Doug Peterson, a guy who really didn't have any accolades to his name. A guy, Mike Lombardi, a former NFL uh, general manager, called the worst coaching hire he'd ever seen. A guy he said was the most unqualified head coach in football. A guy we all looked at as Andy Reid 2.0. Come on, we all thought he was a goof. We thought he had the same fatal tendencies as his mentor Andy. We thought he brought a lot of the same pass-happy type of crap. We really thought that was what we were getting, a regurgitation of Andy Reid. So the fate of the team was left in the hands of a guy fresh out of a broom closet and a guy who nine years ago was coaching high school football. And Jeffrey Lurie, to his credit, an owner who has been criticized for this city's lack of championships, a guy who said, people have said, does this guy even want to win? Does he care about anything but making money? Finally stepped in and told Howie Roseman. He said, I believe in you, Howie. I'm giving you this chance. I'm bringing you back. But you better take advantage of it, and you better bring in a guy who actually knows a thing or two about football. Enter Joe Douglas. So now Joe Douglas comes in. And together, this new leadership nucleus not only got rid of all the Chip Kelly trash and overhauled all of the contracts, but they rehauled the entire roster pretty much within a year's time, traded up to get a franchise quarterback in what can only be described as like a monumental move and a, a completely ballsy move to give up all of that to go get your franchise quarterback. It was necessary. From there, they filled this team out with veterans who not only had a ton of talent, but guys who were great fits, I think, for the culture, not only the team and what Doug Peterson was trying to do, but guys that fit the mold of this city. Guys like Alshon Jeffrey, like Garrett Blunt, Timmy Jernigan, Chris Long, guys who have like a chip on their shoulder and wear their emotions on their sleeve and just kind of tell it like it is. Uh, you had guys who became role players, guys like Patrick Robinson, Torrey Smith, Brian Brayman, who was ready to rip somebody's intestines out. He signed guys uh, that were, ended up being like the core guys on your team, guys like Fletcher Cox, Malcolm Jenkins, and Vinnie Curry. He made some gutsy trades getting rid of a great locker room guy and a great teammate and your best wide receiver at the time in Jordan Matthews to go and fill a need at corner, bringing in Ronald Darby. He made opportunistic moves, trading fucking Sam Bradford away, a guy who really has been a large, largely a failure in the NFL but has gathered so much money that it just blows my mind. And that Sam Bradford deal yielded us Derek Barnett. And he traded a fourth-round pick for Jay Ajayi. So the squad was assembled, and Doug Peterson built up his superb coaching staff made up of guys who don't all think like him. It's not the Andy Reid mentality of, I need yes men. He needed guys who were inventive and collaborative. He built a team around culture where it's truly the next man up mentality, and he didn't stifle the team's personality like you saw with Chip Kelly. He wasn't telling guys how to act, how to behave, what to say, what to dress like, what to eat and drink. And like what his shit has to weigh or whatever Chip Kelly was doing, testing people's piss and stuff. He said, you guys be yourselves. I like when this team has personality. Play with a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. And he's a collaborative, humble guy, Doug Peterson. And all of this created the recipe for a team that was ready to face pretty much any challenge that came their way. And it all started with our season opener, uh, two, two, two really tough road games going to Washington 
to start. And that first game was a goofy game. We started out strong. Carson came right out the gate, throwing two touchdown passes, then let them back in the game with the pick six. It wasn't until the fourth quarter on a Kirk Cousins fumble and a Fletcher Cox recovery for a touchdown that the game was sealed. That first game, we won the game, but it came at the expense of an injury for the first time in the season. We lost Caleb Sturgis to a hip injury, ended up losing him for the season. Um, and the more stunning injury, I think, you just went and traded for Jordan Matthews for Donald, Ronald Darby, dislocates his ankle very early on in the game and a very gruesome injury, and you're just thinking to yourself, God, we are unlucky, and we were already deplete at the corner position, so you thought that this was going to have a huge impact on the future. But confident nonetheless, we headed out to Arrowhead for a showdown with Fat Andy. And the first time Doug would face his mentor in Andy Reid, this game was an ugly fucking game. Defensive battle for the most part, but only because the two offenses struggled. It was not until Kareem Hunt blew it open with a 53-yard rushing touchdown, which ultimately was the deciding touchdown of the contest. Um, but the big storyline was the fact that LeGarrette Blount only had one carry for zero yards in the game. And Doug received a lot of heat post-game for not running the ball. And started to hear that chatter. Does Doug Peterson really know what he's doing? Does he know how to call a game? What's with all this passing stuff? Who is he, Andy Reid? It's just Andy Reid 2.0. People questioned whether or not the offensive line was good enough, whether they were tough enough to run the ball. And now you're starting to wonder, can Blunt be a feature back? Uh, is there a reason they're not running with Blunt? Uh, do we have anyone who can run the ball? We lost Ronnie McLeod. We lost Corey Graham. So all we had at safety was Jenkins and Maragos. No backups at that point. Things were looking pretty bleak, despite the fact that we were only one and one so this set up a really important game for your home opener. And while every game is important, it was just one of those moments where you knew this was an important game. The Giants were coming off of just two pitiful performances. They had put up 13, week, or 13 points through the first two weeks. Um, and the Eagles needed a win. You needed to stay alive in the division, get a divisional win, and make sure that you didn't start the year one and two. And you had a chance to put the Giants pretty much away for the season with this win because then they would be at 0-3. So that was the stakes of the game, entering the game. And the game started really slow. Uh, but the Eagles were able to take a lead, hold on to it until the fourth quarter. Uh, and that's where the fucking wheels just fell off the defense. Giants scored 21 unanswered points, including two touchdown passes to Odell Beckham Jr., uh, where he did his little dog pee celebration, if you'll remember. Fletcher Cox ended up having to leave the game with a calf injury. And things were just looking lost out there. Defense, you lost your best player, and just 21 answered point, unanswered points. Things were just not looking good. Ultimately, the game came down to Carson getting the ball. He threw a just bullet pass, perfectly passed ball, 17 yards to Alshon Jeffrey to set up a 61-yard field goal from Jake Elliott. Those dreams that they have Here we go. winning games, this is that one. Yeah, but it's 61 yards. Hold your breath. Ball is spotted. The kick is away. And the kick is... It's gone! And the Eagles win! This is that dream I talked about. They win! He's had this dream before. 61 yards! The longest kick in Eagles history. 
when it was the longest kick in Eagles history on a guy who had never really kicked before that game. He did kick in Kansas City, but we don't really remember it. But really his first full game as an Eagle, a true Eagle, because he got himself recognized with that 61-yarder. And with that win, it also did not come without a cost. We lost a future Hall of Famer, in my opinion, in running back and special teams just gem. Darren Sproles for the season with a broken arm and torn ACL in the same play. So we're three games through the season. We've already lost our kicker, and we've already lost Darren Sproles. We have injuries now to Fletcher Cox and Ronnie McLeod, Corey Graham, and we got to head out west. So that out west we went to face the LA Chargers. The Eagles fans absolutely took over StubHub Center. It felt like an Eagles home game. We jumped on them early getting an early preview of the aggressiveness of Chris Long, who stripped Phillip Rivers to set up our first touchdown of the day. From there, we traded blows back and forth, the Chargers pulling as close as 26-24. to 24. Uh, But we, we rode LeGarrette Blount in his 136 yards, which included a 68-yard run, his longest of his career, and the Eagles were able to just grind out the remainder of that game for their second close win in a row. So then it was back home face off against Arizona and this is where we really started to hit our stride Carson Wentz exploded out of the gate throwing three touchdown passes in the first quarter uh, four touchdown passes in total on the day we saw the emergence of Nelson Aguilar who up to this point had just been a bust of a first round pick in this game he caught a 72 yard touchdown pass juking Buda Baker if you'll remember completely out of his skin and falling backwards like an angel into the end zone we saw this, uh, the first of our really fun football touchdown celebrations, if you will, uh, with the home run touchdown celebration. Later on, we would go to do like the electric slide and the bowling one. You could just tell that this team was having a lot of fun winning games. And this game, honestly, this one against Arizona wasn't even close. And it started, it started to look like we were actually the class of the NFC East. Everybody had been like Dallas, even without Zeke. And the Giants will still be competitive, but now it was the Eagles. So then came our first true test, a Thursday night showdown against Carolina, another team who at that point was 4-1, really the first tough team you had to play. First drive of the game, we marched right downfield, but then that drive came to a screeching halt after Julius Peppers blew right by Halapalui Vadi Vaitai. I think I got that right. Halapalui Vadi Vaitai. Halapalui Vaitai. Um, he blew right by him, and he had just happened to be filling in for Lane Johnson, who was concussed, if you'll remember, and because of the short week, wasn't able to play. And he ended up getting by Vitae, stripping Carson of the ball, and ending that great first drive. Panthers jumped out to an early 10-3 lead, but then the momentum shifted when Rasul Douglas picked off Cam Newton, leading to a Zach Ertz TD, which was followed uh, in the second opening half by another Zach Ertz touchdown. So Wentz... Then able to connect to Aguilar, put the game at 28-16. Cam came right back, closing the gap to 28-23, getting the ball back for the last strike. But the defense showed it's resolved. Jalen Mills picked off Cam Newton to ice the game. This game cemented, I think, the Eagles as legitimate NFC contenders. All the talk of who have they beat? Have they even even played a good team? All that shit got silenced because we finally beat a team on short rest and we looked damn good doing it. And Carson looked damn good. The defense looked damn good. So after a 
a really tough game in Carolina and a strong performance. The Eagles headed back home for another primetime game, this time Monday night against Washington. The pregame featured that segment about the Dutch Destroyer, a uh, story about Carson Wentz interactions with a terminally ill cancer child who uh, it really just broke all of our hearts and just made us fall even more in love with our favorite franchise QB. As for the game, Eagles started out again kind of sluggish, um, being backed up over 20 yards due to penalties on their first drive, uh, and then Carson Wentz towards his fourth interception of the season. After exchanging some field goals, Redskins running back Chris Thompson caught a seven-yard touchdown pass from quarterback Kirk Cousins. But then, as it seemed like we were going to kind of have a close game and a slugfest on our hands, the offense and Carson Wentz just had an outburst in the, at the end of the first half. Wentz found rookie receiver Mac Hollins for a 64-yard touchdown pass and later found tight end Zach Ertz for a four-yard strike to end the first half. The second half, it was the Carson Wentz show. Carson went off uh, to throw four touchdowns in the game, beating Washington for the second time that season. And if you'll remember, there was the elusive magic of Carson Wentz where we all started to look at this kid and be like, you got to be kidding me. This guy's the real deal. See if Greg Minuski brings the pressure again. Went 7 out of 10 against the Blitz. They're lined up as if they're coming after him, and they do. And he's in trouble. Wentz will be escaping from the 18-yard line. How in the world did that happen? First down out to the 44-yard line. He's just breaking the hearts of the Washington Redskins. Wendell Smallwood gets run over. Was he down? Where did he go? Amazing. He came out of a pile of bodies. And he's not down. Nope. Not down. He's not down. He kept going, and he ended up leading us in that game and just an amazing performance by Carson Wentz, and you started to feel it. You started to feel that shift. Like, this team is a great team. This team's good. This is a playoff team for sure. But then... During that game, it's not without its loss. The theme all season, it's like a war of attrition. We lose another key player, this time a really big one. The Eagles lost future Hall of Fame left tackle Jason Peters for the year with a torn ACL. And as if it wasn't bad enough, they also lost their stud middle linebacker Jordan Hicks for the year with a ruptured Achilles tendon. So while we rejoiced in this just emergence of Carson Wentz. Our joy was a little bit reserved. And there, we knew that there was going to be this, this big hole in the offensive line that we would have a really hard time filling. And despite the fact that our quarterback and defense were looking pretty good, now we've got two losses on both sides of the ball. Lost uh, pretty much your best offensive lineman on offense and your quarterback on defense. So Halapaluti Vadi Vaitai got the start, and we welcomed the 49ers to Lincoln Financial Field, where things once again got off to a slow start. But then Carson, he got into his zone. Zach Ertz for the game's first score. Uh, and this is around the time where you're saying, you know, maybe this Zach Ertz guy is finally the one that they've promised all these years. They keep saying this is going to be Ertz's breakout year. This is going to be Ertz's breakout year. It's going to be this one. And finally, you're starting to see the emergence of everything that they said Zach Ertz could be. 
Then in the game, Jalen Mills picks off CJ Beathard or Bethard. They said Bethard, but I'm going to go with Beathard because we that's what we did. We beat him pretty hard. And we did. Yeah, we played a game against CJ Bethard or Beathard, whatever the fuck his name is. Uh, Jalen Mills picks him off, though, takes him to the house for a pick six. The game pretty much out of reach. But then Carson throws a pick leading to a San Francisco score. And you're starting to get concerned, but despite Carson not having his best game, he's able to put the game away with a 53-yard touchdown pass to Alshon Jeffrey to seal the win. The sloppiness of this win against a bad 49ers team, the loss of Jason Peters, started to have people concerned. This is around the time where Eagles fans were like, that's it, you lose Jason Peters, the line, not so good, don't think we're going to hold up, Halapaluti vadi vaitai, not the answer, blah, 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 blah. Everybody's freaking out. So sitting at 7-1, and one, where you're welcoming the Denver Broncos and their number one rated defense at the time. And while everyone was a little nervous entering the day or entering the week, things got a little bit easier when we made a blockbuster trade, sending a fourth-round pick to Miami in exchange for Jay Ajayi. I think it made people excited. I think they thought maybe this is going to take a little bit of pressure off that line if you got a running back that can make some plays, a young guy that can move around and power through some people. But nonetheless, Denver came to town. And uh, while that defense was pretty stellar, the offensive side of the ball was pretty abysmal. If you'll remember, they benched uh, Trevor Simeon, their starting quarterback, in favor of Brock Osweiler. So Eagles fans uh, were a little bit were a little bit excited about this game. You know, we got JHI coming in. I think we're playing well. Oh, we got a little winning streak going. And then Zach Ertz isn't going to play because he's got a, a little hamstring issue. So that was a little bit of a, of a bummer right before the game. I remember being there with my pops and my brothers, and we were all kind of like, damn, that Ertz thing, that sucks. Uh, you really could have used him today. It's a tough defense and blah, blah, blah. When the game started, Denver drove right downfield. And fucking Trevor, uh, Brock Osweiler is looking like, oh, God, they made the right move. And the game opens with a field goal, but that would be the last time that Denver would lead. Carson got things going. Uh, faking a handoff to the newly acquired Jay Ajayi, who they all thought that was going to get the ball just to break him in. But he pulls it back, launches a 32-yard touchdown pass to Alshon Jeffrey to take the lead. Then Patrick Robinson picks off Osweiler, setting up a screen pass to Corey Clement, the undrafted rookie out of Glassboro, New Jersey. And he had three touchdowns on the day. No Ertz, though? No problem. Carson goes to Trey Burton for a score. Uh, he had a few big passes to Brent Selleck. And then he followed up the uh, Trey Burton score with a 46-yard touchdown run from Jay Ajayi to score his first touchdown as a Philadelphia Eagle. So Jay Ajayi, we were told to line up for about 12 plays. This is a big one. Ajayi! Looking for the angle. Ajayi dives. Touchdown, Eagles. And that touchdown was to close the half. At the half, the game was pretty much already over. Um, the game just kind of got a little bit further out of hand from there. We went on to win, win pretty handily. Um, and with that win, we went into the bye week with our best start since 2004. And that's where all this comparison started. 2014, didn't they go to the Super Bowl? Yeah, they did. They did. Maybe it could be us, we thought. Maybe we could repeat the 2004 season and make a run to the Super Bowl. 
they have also now, at this point in the season, surpassed their win total from the last season where they only won seven games. So now we're sitting at 8-1. and one. We got more wins than last season. And we're entering the bye week. And uh, things are looking good. It was also the biggest victory at Lincoln Financial Field since the uh, 2013 win over the Bears. Uh, so it's the biggest win in the Doug Peterson era. A 54-11 to 11 blowout of the league's best defense. And the team was ablaze, man. I mean, the Denver game was a statement win. It was a statement to the rest of the league to say the Eagles are the real deal. We're not just better than last year. We're contenders. We are contenders to win the NFC. And then after our bye week, we traveled to Dallas to take on the Cowboys, or the Cowgirls, as I like to call them, who were missing their star running back, Ezekiel Elliott, to suspension. They were also missing their left tackle, Tyron Smith, who had a groin injury, and Sean Lee, who hurt his hammy. Or we all really know it was his vagina. Uh, and the game, the Eagles were expected to pretty much dominate because all these guys were out, but we again started off slow, with Dallas leading 9-7 at halftime. Um, and if you'll remember, this is the game where Jake Elliott was ruled out with a concussion after getting just fucking blown up, which forced the Eagles to use backup linebacker Kamu Gruger Hill uh, for kickoffs. He also uh, They also had to go for two-point conversions on everything. So you have a backup linebacker doing your kickoffs, and you have to kick two-point conversions. The Eagles converted three of four two-point conversions. Three of four. And their touchdowns came from the ground on Corey Clement and through the air with Carson finding Torrey Smith for an 11-yard touchdown and Alshon Jeffrey for a 17-yard touchdown on fourth down. We were a big fourth down team. And then late in the fourth quarter, rookie defensive end Derek Barnett notched his second sack of the game, a strip sack uh, of Dak Prescott, leading to a Nigel Bradham 37-yard scoop and score. And the Eagles who had harassed Dak Prescott all game, four sacks in total, intercepted him three times, forcing one fumble. Just completely owned Dak Prescott, who is not anywhere near as good as Carson Wentz. The win put the Eagles in a strong position to win the NFC East. And now the talks of playoffs were real. This team was already at 9-1, and one, and you're not only starting to think about playoffs, because the playoffs at this point are pretty much a guarantee, you're starting to think about seeding. With the Eagles at 9-1, and one, they look to take down the 3-7 piece-of-shit Chicago Bears team at home. Um, and the Eagles blew out the Bears pretty much the entire game. A final score of 31-3, to improved to 10-1 and one on the season. Um, the Eagles actually in this game held the Bears to no first downs, if you'll remember. No first downs in the first half. No first downs in the first half. And led 24 to nothing. At halftime, Zach Ertz became the first receiver of the 2017 season to record at least 100 receiving yards in a game, catching 10 passes for 103 yards. Uh, we had a touchdown uh, pass to Alshon Jeffrey, who had five receptions for 52 yards. Nelson Aguilar had three receptions for 32 yards, including a 15-yard touchdown. And if you'll recall, he also had a touchdown that he caught off of a um, Jay Ajayi fumble in the end zone, but he recovered it, I guess, uh, for a touchdown. Do you remember that? I remember that. Uh, Carson Wentz continued his MVP campaign in that game, completing 23 of his 36 passes for 227 yards and three touchdowns. And the Eagles defense pretty much 
pretty much owned Mitchell Trubisky, who's not going to be a good quarterback in this league. He's going to be another failure for the Bears. And they held running back Jordan Howard to six yards on seven rushes. Malcolm Jenkins, Corey Graham each had one interception. The Eagles defense really now starting to look like a championship defense. So after a pretty much of a gimme game where everyone thought that was a trap game because the Bears defense was good and blah, 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 blah. Not really. We had our first tough test of the season. Our true tough test. Like this is our toughest test to date going out to Seattle to play at CenturyLink Field against the Seattle Seahawks, who at that point were hungry for a playoff spot. I think they were behind two spots. Um, So they really needed a win. The Eagles pretty much struggled throughout the entire game. Uh, Penalties and then just getting gashed on defense put this game out of reach. It never really felt like it was in grasp uh, of the Eagles. I really never felt like they were going to win, even though they kind of came back a little bit towards the end. They ended up losing the game 24-10, to a tough road loss. And with that loss, snapped their nine-game winning streak up until that point. It was our fourth loss to Seattle since 2008. And that loss dropped us to 10-2, and which then put us at a tie with Minnesota for the best record in the NFC. So we had to stay out west. And we headed to L.A. to try to bounce back against the L.A. Rams, who are not the L.A. Rams of Jeff Fisher years. They were a playoff-caliber team now under Sean McVay, jockeying for the Eagles with some top seeding in the playoffs. And again, as they had done before multiple times this season, the Eagles fans came out in full force, taking over the Coliseum, including your boy Dave Bedecki, who was out there to cheer his birds on in the, uh, the land of sunshine out there. The game was absolutely electric, an absolute shootout with both teams trading blows. Late in the third quarter, the Eagles were attempting to take the lead. Carson Wentz saw an opening, ran, dove toward the goal line, and got sandwiched between two defenders. The hit was scary, but what was worse was that the touchdown was called back due to a Lane Johnson holding penalty, and Carson got up, looked a little shaken, but he stayed out there for four more plays before throwing a touchdown pass to Alshon Jeffrey in the back of an end zone on fourth and goal. And... You know, you knew something was wrong. You watched Carson kind of like on the sidelines. He goes to the tent. And then your worst fears kind of start to come true. Carson heads back to the locker room, towel over his head, not looking good. And what we came to find out later is the devastating news that our quarterback was having an MVP caliber season, 33 touchdown passes, a franchise record through only 13 games would be out for the rest of the season with a torn ACL. So we entered the Nick Foles era once again. Nick Foles getting his first start as an Eagle since the 2013 season. And he gets he gets put in the game in a tough spot. The uh, fourth quarter started with a Todd Gurley touchdown to put LA up 35-31. to 31. Nick Foles took the team down the field, resulting in a field goal to bring the game to 35-34. to 34. And then Chris Long. Another big play. Stepped up, stripping Jared Goff. Set up the go-ahead field goal for the Eagles. Rams had some time left. And as we had seen a couple times this season, once again, an Eagles defender steps up to just make a gigantic play. So that's a huge game coming up. It's lateral time. Austin. And it's taken by Philly and Brandon Graham for the touchdown. 
Bills win it. And they go to 11 and 2. You hear that crowd noise? That game was played in Los Angeles. That was not a game played in Philadelphia. But Brandon Graham with the interception of a lateral pass in the backfield brought it to the end zone to end the game, clinch the NFC East for the Eagles. But that joy was pretty much short-lived because the loss of Carson Wentz was absolutely devastating. And it was at this point in the season that I think everything for everybody felt lost. It was yet another classic example of that Philadelphia story of what should have been instead of what actually was. And I remember a conversation I had with my buddy Phil at work. We were so dejected. The loss of Carson Wentz was just weighing on us pretty heavy that day. But there was something about this team. We just felt so strongly about the way they had looked this season. Just like that we looked around the NFL at the landscape. And we said, you know what? There's still a path to the Super Bowl. Aaron Rodgers is out at that point, And there's not a whole lot of impressive teams in front of you with the exception of maybe the Saints. You're not really buying the Minnesota Vikings in Case Keenum. And you thought to yourself, you know, Super Bowls have got, have been won under stranger circumstances. Championships have been won under cer- stranger circumstances. Back in 2008, you didn't think the Phillies were going to win the World Series, did you? They kind of came out of nowhere and surprised everybody. So it was pretty improbable. So why not the Eagles? So we entered the Nick Foles era again, this time in, the, in uh, New York against the Giants. A game that really didn't start off that great. Giants marched downfield and scored on their opening possession. But the Eagles got one back with a toss to Alshon. But the Giants hit right back with two scores of their own, taking a 20-7 lead. But Nick Foles showed some resolve. He marched the Eagles right downfield, closed the gap to 23-21 by the half. And after the half, Foles marched them back downfield to take the lead on a Jake Elliott field goal. Then Nelson Aguilar came up with a huge touchdown catch to put the Eagles ahead 31-23. to the Giants answered with another touchdown to close the gap to 34-29. to And the game came down to a last-minute goal line stance by the Eagles. Well, here we go. That's Lewis, and that didn't fool anybody. Malcolm Jenkins coming up to make the tackle. And the Philadelphia Eagles win their 12th game of the year. And we win our 12th game of the year, despite the fact that our defense for the second week in a row pretty much looked pretty terrible. Um, But you're kind of thinking to yourself, Nick Foles looked pretty good. The defense may be able to bounce back. And for the first time since 2004, we are now looking at a first-round bye in the playoffs. So Christmas Day comes around. And we have a chance to wrap up home field advantage throughout the playoffs on a Monday night game against the Oakland Raiders. This time, the defense showed up. The only problem was, the offense didn't. The game was brutal. Both teams unable to get anything going offensively. The Eagles ran a very vanilla offense, but the defense got it done in the end. Derek Barnett sealing the game with a 23-yard fumble recovery for a touchdown to gain home field advantage throughout the playoffs. So then came a meaningless Dallas game at home. The starters played, didn't look good. Nick Foles, for a second straight game, could not get shit going on offense. But a large part of it was due to the fact that the Eagles were running a vanilla offense, not really really wanting to tip their hand as to what they were going to do in the playoffs with Foles. But it was a meaningless game against a Dallas team. And you know what? Some guys looked pretty good in that game. Your, Your secondary guys, some guys who don't get a whole lot of action, guys like Vinnie Curry, who's a rotational guy, got a lot of action that game and pretty much lit up Dak Prescott for the second time that season. 
And I'll remind you, they had Ezekiel Elliott that game, and they still couldn't do shit on us on our defense. So say what you want. Meaningless game. Playoff picture was set. Eagles rested on their bye week after beating the L.A. Rams. The Atlanta Falcons won themselves a trip to Philadelphia for a divisional playoff matchup. And uh, if the Birds wanted to advance, they'd have to go through the defending NFC championship team, the team that blew a lead in the Super Bowl to the New England Patriots. Philadelphia Eagles entered the first playoff game since 2013, the first number one seed in the history of football to be an underdog in the playoffs. The first home team, number one seed, to be an underdog in the playoffs. Just such blatant disrespect. Um, and this was a game where we relied on our defense. And it came down to that final play. I don't think any of us will ever forget. And who better to remember it than our own Merrill Reese. The Falcons break from the huddle. Jones wide right. Where is Julio? Sanu in the slot. Lone receiver to the left. Ryan with Coleman to his left. Ryan rolls. Ryan pumps. Ryan is throwing it up in the air. Incomplete! Incomplete! And Taylor for Jones. Incomplete! And the Eagles take over on downs with 58 seconds left. What an unbelievable job by this defense. It's hard to come to South Philadelphia and leave here with the win. You just don't come to Philadelphia and leave here with the win. Well, they haven't won yet because there are two timeouts remaining I get for the that. Falcons. You know, this is a, a bunch of prideful men, and they really had to deal all week with listening to everyone, all of the national people talking about how they can't win against the Atlanta Falcons, even in their own house. Well, I think they took that to heart. And Nick I think Foles that's the reason why takes they the are again. now moving on. And it's over. It's over. The clock ticks away the final seconds, and the Eagles have defeated the Atlanta Falcons 15-10. to 10. They are one win away from the Super Bowl. And that win. Despite that win and the, I think, strong performance from your defense and stellar performance of Nick Foles, and despite all the turnovers and all of that, I still think the Eagles look pretty good. And despite all of that, the stage being set for the NFC Championship game against the Vikings, they were still the underdog. They still disrespected us and made Minnesota once again uh, the favorite. So the Eagles were underdogs once again at home against the Vikings. And I can't do it justice, guys, because there's only one guy I think that can actually do it justice. Let's relive that beautiful, beautiful NFC Championship game where we just whooped the fucking shit out of the Minnesota Vikings. Let's start with uh, the, the play that perhaps changed everything. Keenum goes into a long count, straightens up, takes the snap. Here comes the rush. He's hit, and it's intercepted. It's picked off by Robinson. Robinson at the 30. Cuts back across the field. Patrick Robinson looks for a block. Now he's at the 20. He's at the 15, the 10, the 5. Touchdown! Patrick Robinson! The rush came from Chris Long. Yeah, give the pressure to Chris Long. He gets to Keenan. Keenan throws a pop-up. And what a great job by P. Rob. He takes it down the sideline and then all the way back across the field and into the corner of the end zone. 
There's the first interception by an active eagle in playoff history. Trey Burton goes in motion. This time the handoff is to Blunt. Up the middle, to the five. He's in! The train! The train just ran one over. Big block by Trey Burton. And the train, LeGarrette Blunt did the rest. To the near side, Thielen. McKinnon stays in. Shotgun. Keenum back. Hit. Football loose. Look for the football. I think, let's say the Eagles have it. I think the Eagles have it. I don't think the arm was going forward. They do. And the Eagles have it. Back goes Foles. Foles steps up. He is looking. He is going deep and alone. And in for the touchdown is Jeffrey. Jeffrey was open at the five. And Nick Foles hit him for a 53-yard touchdown. It's the protection. Nick Foles has a lot of time. He climbs the pocket. He pats the football. He pats it again. Then he loads up downfield for Alshon Jeffrey. And it's a 53-yard touchdown, Mr. Reese. The ball is spotted. The kick is up. And the kick is... Good! Happy birthday, Jake Elliott. They come right back. It's a flea flicker. Back to Foles. He's going deep down the far side of the field. And it is caught! Touchdown! Torrey Smith! Oh. 41 yards! It's about to get turned up in here. Foles in the gun. Jeffrey in motion to the right. Foles back. He looks. He fires. And it is caught! Deep in the end zone by Jeffrey. Touchdown! Wow. His second of the game. Keenum takes his drop. He puts it in the air, and it is caught. It is caught, and is it picked off? It is it's by Corey away. Graham. They both went up, and Corey Graham came down with the football. And this team, this team that was 7-9 a year ago, this team that had their optimist hoping for a competitive season to challenge for the NFC East title, won 13 games along the way and overcame the losses of Jason Peters, Darren Sproles, Jordan Hicks, Caleb Sturgis, Chris Maragos, and finally Carson Wentz. Wow. No for, the first, for the first time in 13 years, the Eagles are headed for the Super Bowl and a rematch with the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 52. Merrill Reese, pack your bags. We're going to Minneapolis. And all of you, the best fans in the NFL, deserve every bit of it. And with that, the stage was then set for Super Bowl 52. And all of the haters were out to fucking get us. All the Minnesotas, people just crushing us and we're savages and shitty fans and all that nasty stuff all the national media said and of course we entered the game underdogs nobody believed that the eagles could take down the mean and mighty bill belichick and the great tom brady the goat they all counted us out they all thought we were dead and i sat there and i watched the pregame coverage pretty much all day and it was all patriots 24 7 there was hardly anything about the Eagles, and it's amazing to me that the national media did not pick up on this amazing story, which is why I wanted to relive it a little bit. Every story you heard was about Tom Brady and his quest for his sixth ring, and he can take that sixth ring and shove it up his ass. And if I were the Eagles, I would get rings that fit right on my middle finger so I could say fuck you to the world for not believing. 
because what we witnessed on Sunday was probably the greatest Super Bowl I've ever watched. And I've seen some that have come down to crazy finishes and all that. Sure, those were exciting, but that was only one moment in the Super Bowl. It was one catch. It was one play. This was the entire game. The entire game was fast-paced. It was a shootout. It was a lot of fun to watch. So let's once again, this one's a little long, but I think you guys are going to enjoy it. Let's relive all of the great moments of the Super Bowl with Merrill Reese and Mike Quick. Goskowski approaches the football, and the Super Bowl is underway. It is taken, coming out as Clement to the 5, the 10, 15, on his feet at the 20, and pushed out of bounds at about the 27-yard line. This is a 25-yard field goal attempt for Jake Elliott. Ball is spotted, the kick is up, and the kick is good, and the Eagles lead Super Bowl 52, 3 to nothing. Foles fakes, he's back, he steps up, he is going deep, and it is caught by Alshon Jeffrey for a touchdown! Whoa, what a great catch by Alshon Jeffrey. A little play action, and after that big run, they immediately go up on top, and they get the big one to Alshon Jeffrey. He goes up over Eric Rowe, and he takes the football away. He was about nine and a half yards deep. What a catch. This is a short field goal attempt, 26-yarder, low snap. They have trouble with it. Still, they, it's off the goalpost. No good. They had trouble with the low snap. Goskowski line drived it, and it was off the goalpost. No good. So the Eagles give up nothing. First and 10 at the 21. Foles under center. He comes right back to Blunt. Blunt across the 20, the 15, the 10, the 5. The train is in the end zone. 21 yards. Unbelievable blocking. Great play call. You can't execute it much better than this. The big guys, they get their double team up front. They get to the second level. It's a great cut by Garrett Blunt. He sticks that left foot into the ground. He goes back against the green, and he hauls to the end zone. People don't realize how quick his feet are. He looks like a big lumbering power back, but boy, can he dance. Holes in the gun. Lemon to his right. Now lines up behind Foles. Foles moves to the right. It goes directly to Clement. Clement reverses it, and the pass goes into the end zone. To Nick and Foles. And a touchdown by Nick Foles. Foles back again, looking, looking. He's pumping. He is going deep, and is it a touchdown? I'm awaiting the signal. It is. It is touchdown. It goes all the way down. A 22-yard touchdown to Clement. Back goes Foles, fires, slant, touchdown, Zach Ertz. He caught it, he bobbled it, and he never let it drop, and he finished with the football. The ball did pop up, but he regained control of the football. It is second down and two. Brady with White to his right. Brady back again. He steps up, he's hit, and falls forward. He fumbled and he it. fumbles the football, and the Eagles have it. It is recovered by, now it is unrecovered by Barnett. 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 Brady fumbles, and Barnett has the ball. They finally the hit turnover. Brady. They finally hit Tom Brady, and Barnett comes up with the football. Oh, there is that turnover we prayed for.
Here is a 46-yarder to give the Eagles an eight-point lead. Ball is spotted. The kick is away. And the kick is... Goal! The biggest kick in Jake Elliott's life right there. Outstanding job on the snap, on the hold by Donnie Jones, and he hits it through the pipes. Brady lines them up. He's back again. He steps up. He's hit. He stumbles. He is throwing it deep for the end zone, and it is batted around and incomplete. incomplete. And the game is over. The game is over. The Philadelphia Eagles are Super Bowl champions. Eagles fans everywhere, this is for you. Let the celebration begin. There's going to be a parade on Broad Street. Hey, man, if this is a dream, don't wake me up. We're going to have a parade on Broad Street. Hey, grease up the poles. We're going to have a parade. The Eagles have won the Super Bowl. Oh, my goodness. 41 to 33. And, Mike, I'm going to give you my MVP, Nick Foles. No question about it. And finally, the third time is truly a charm. We are bringing back the Lombardi Trophy to Philadelphia. The greatest fans of the world have their Super Bowl. And that was the moment at that end of the game. The ball goes up. It looks like one of those Hail Marys that's just going to crush your heart. You see it bobble around, and you're looking for it. You're all, like you can hear Merrill looking for the ball in his call. He's looking for the ball. It hits the ground, and then you're like, "Okay, well, what down is it? What? Wait a minute. There's no time left on the clock. There's no time left on the clock. That means we're the Super Bowl champions. Holy fucking shit! Did we just win the Super Bowl? Where's the flag? Where's the flag? And you can't believe it. You just are in utter disbelief. And then the confetti starts coming down. You're like, wait a minute, they're gonna something's gonna happen. The ref's gonna come out. And he's gonna say, upon further review, there was a pass interference and there's a it's a first and goal. But it didn't happen. The confetti fell. Everybody embraced. I ran around my house like a lunatic, and I I just I just lost it. I just lost my mind. I went to the TV and I started just fucking screaming and pointing at Tom Brady. Fuck you, Brady. Fuck you, Brady. I don't know why that's always my reaction. That was my reaction after Julio missed that ball in the end zone. I just ran to my TV and I said, fuck you, Julio. Fuck you, Julio. Because I just, I respect him and his talent. And I thought that maybe they could beat us, but they didn't. And because they didn't, just fuck them. We're better than you. And it just felt good. It felt great. And the moment that you had right after, it's just, there's so much shock. And you can't even grasp it. And for me, the moment where it really finally sunk in was when I got in my car and I'm just listening to the radio, something I do every day. And I hear these people call in that have just waited their entire lives, people who are like 65, 70 years old, even older, and have just watched just dreadful team after dreadful team, heartbreak after heartbreak. And finally, they don't have to be called a loser anymore when they're fan with their buddy who's a fan of the Giants or Dallas or the Redskins or the Patriots or whoever they talk shit to him and they say you've never won shit in your life where's your ring well now you could say you got a ring and while they may come back with oh well call me when you got one and one bro we got like five rings I got like two rings in this fucking decade dude whatever we got the most recent one 
And we got it against a team that is the greatest team of all time, the greatest coach of all time, the greatest quarterback of all time. And we did it without five of our 10 best players. We did it with a backup quarterback, just dream story and Nick Foles. We ran a play that just took absolute balls. And it's honestly, in my opinion, I don't give a fuck what anyone says and call me a homer and whatever. It's the greatest play in Super Bowl history. To run a gadget play where you flip to a direct snap to your running back, a flip to your tight end, your backup tight end, to throw a touchdown pass to your backup quarterback on a fourth down to go up in a Super Bowl against the greatest quarterback and the greatest team of all time. And then the optics of the fact that Brady and the Patriots ran a similar play earlier in the game and the ball went right through Brady's hands. The combination of all of that makes it the greatest play in Super Bowl history. And the lure of that play will live on forever. And what makes it even better, something I just saw just now, there's a mic'd up play or a mic'd up video of Nick Foles running over to the sideline after uh, before they're about to call that play. So the fourth down's coming up. Nick play runs o- Nick Foles runs over to Doug Peterson to get the play. He says, "You want to run Philly Philly?" Which I'm guessing is the <laughs> is Nick's way of being like, "You want to run the Philly special?" Because that's what the play was called. And Doug's like, "Let's do it." So it was Nick Foles who was like, yeah, this is the play we're going to run, right? And Doug Peterson was already there. He was already on the same page because that's just the way these guys are. And he brings it to the huddle. You can tell everybody's eyes light up. And then that shit fucking happens. And you're just like, the confidence of Nick Foles, a guy who looked like a, like a deer in headlights just a few years ago, a guy who wasn't supposed to be in the league anymore, a guy who thought about retiring, all of that stuff had the balls along with his coach, to run that play. And it's the greatest play of all time. That's a moment I'll always remember. I'll always remember Malcolm Jenkins just absolutely just murdering Brandon Brandon Cooks. He Brandon Cooks, I don't know what the hell he was doing. He catches the ball, takes a step like right, left, right, and then starts going back left, and boom! Malcolm Jenkins literally hits him out of his cleats, crushes him back, he probably doesn't even know who he is to this day. He's like, Brandon who? Why do I spell my name with an I in it? Brandon. Like I'm Brad, brand in. I'm a brand in. Fucking weirdo. And Patriots fans will be salty and they'll talk about, you know, this cat wasn't a catch, that wasn't a catch, and blah, blah. They're just sore losers. Just like the Minnesota fans were sore losers. And just like everybody we beat and everybody who didn't win the Super Bowl this year is a sore loser. But this year, it's not about the hate. It's not about anybody talking shit on Philly and how we're savages for the way we react to our championship. It's not about anybody else. It's about us. It's about the city. It's about what it means to be from here, to be a fan of this team, and to just enjoy this moment. I have such little respect for people who grow up in this area and are fans of other teams. The fact that you're a fan of the other team just means that you don't have the guts. You don't have the, like, the guts, the balls to stick with the team when they're not good, when they're losing. You just jump ship because you're a Fairweather fan. You're, uh, you're an insecure person, and you can't really handle hardship. 
So when you stick with a team through thick and thin, and they're a team that has a lot more thick and thin than you'd like to have in your life, um, and then you're rewarded for that with a championship. And while you have nothing to do with it, you didn't do anything to help the Eagles win that, really, when you boil it down. Yeah, you were cheering, you showed up here and there, and it gave them a little bit of boost of energy, but they they put in the hard work, they put in the execution, they got it done. We're just people who rally around them. It's an un, it's an unnatural phenomenon if you think about it. We're just a bunch of lunatics who root for this team because it unites us. And that's really the reason that we're fans. It's not because, you know, we they're better than us as they're they're just people. They bleed like you and me. But they do something that's great. They play a sport that just amazes people. It amazes people what they can do with their talent and their bodies to just be great and athletic and entertain us on a level where we can cross bridges as a society. We can like just forget the fact that we have differences in all the other parts of our lives and we can come together over one common thing and that's being a fan of a team. And we're, we just happen to be in a city too where the city itself, it's set up in a way where there's really one central location to the city. We're not New York where there's five boroughs. There's one Philadelphia, and sure, there's West Philly, which is different than South Philly, which is different than North Philly, which is different than Center City. But at, at the end of the day, we're all Eagles fans. We're not like some of us Jets fans, some of us Giants, some of us Mets, some of us Yankees. We're all four for four. That's what this town's about. And I don't know if you can really say that there's another city that has sports fans the way we do, that has a, a sports town that is as successful as us. You, yeah, sure, New York and uh, Chicago and Boston all win a bunch of championships, but they also have multiple teams in multiple sports. We just have four. We're not the fucking New York teams where there's 19 teams. Chicago has two baseball teams, and you know Boston's probably the only one that's really comparable to us, but they represent an entire region. We represent one city, one city with four teams that have all won championships now, and it's amazing. And I'm so happy to be a Philadelphia sports fan. And I never thought I'd get to like say that with pride. I always said it. I mean, I was always proud to be a Philly sports fan, but there's something behind it now. Like I, We have something. And while I didn't earn it, it belongs to me. It belongs to you. It belongs to everyone. That's the beauty of it. And you want to you wanna get emotional for a moment? Just sit down and think about what this means to you. And really think about why. It means that to you. Like, this win means a lot to me. And I think about, it means a lot to me because of everything I've ever been through in my life. I'm somebody who struggled with being fucking crazy bipolar person, who struggled with drug addiction and all that sort of thing, who's made so many fucking terrible decisions. But I almost feel like none of it matters. All of that stuff is just, like, out the window because something like this just brought me so much joy that all the pain that that stuff caused, it's just like, for some reason, it just doesn't matter anymore. It's just, and I can't describe it. It's this phenomenon where, like, in my life, I felt guilty about a lot of stuff that I did. And I mean, not that I am justified for anything I did because of this championship. That'd be ridiculous. It's just that um, a state of mind for me where I felt like a loser from Philadelphia, a town of losers. Now I don't feel like that. I feel like I'm from a town where, you know, we're pretty fucking cool. 
We got a cool restaurant scene. We got great sports. We just have the best, like, I just think the best of all the different worlds of what makes a city great. New York's too big. There's too many people. It's too spread out. Chicago, same thing, too big, too spread out. Los Angeles, you go from one part of Los Angeles to another part, it's not even the same. Philadelphia, though, there's an element that runs through it that's everywhere, that exists in every part of Philadelphia you go to that's almost kind of the same. It's like this thing you can't describe. We got good restaurants. We got good people. It's all around just a great city, and it's all close to each other. I just feel like there's a family thing that exists here that you don't get anywhere else. And I share this with my Philadelphia family. And I'm so excited. I'm just like beyond excited. And I can't even, I can't even think of the words to say it. And I, I, I hope I've done an okay job of trying to just tell you what it means to me. But Super Bowl fucking champions, boys. We are the champions of the world. And no one can take that away. And remember this story forever. Do everything you can to buy up memorabilia. Buy up things that remind you of it. Get posters of it. Jot it down on a notebook. Buy the DVD so that one day you can share it with your kids and tell them, this is where I was. This is where I was when it happened. This is how I felt. This is what, what happened in the game and what I was thinking about and what your dad was thinking about with your grandpa and your mom and your your bro, your uncle and, you, you know, all, all of that kind of thing so that you can pass down fandom, something that meant so much to you to somebody else one day. Because this is the kind of stuff it's all about, fellas. Championships are what it's all about. It's all about how you feel right now. The joy you have right now is why you're a sports fan. And it's why you keep coming back every year. Because it's worth it. 52 years of no Super Bowls. And it's finally here. And it was so fucking worth it. And let me tell you something else. It ain't over. It ain't even fucking close. Because next year, not only do you have Nick Foles coming back, but you're going to have a healthy Carson Wentz. And let's be real, there's going to be no quarterback controversy. And in my opinion, Nick Foles ain't going anywhere unless it's for a really sweet deal. Because he's as much a part of this team now as he ever was. And even if he's just my backup quarterback, I still want that man on my bench because he's forever a fucking huge nutted wonder in my life. And I might get him tattooed on my fucking ass just so I remember. I always remember Nick Foles. I'm definitely going to get a framed picture of the motherfucker. They should build a goddamn statue of him right next to the statue of Doug Peterson's giant nuts. But this shit ain't over, my friends. And just like a dynasty was born in New England when Tom Brady lifted the Patriots up in 2000 or 2001 Super Bowl, and then they went on to have a run. But why did they have a run? They had a coach, and they had a quarterback, and a nucleus that was strong enough to get them there year after year. Here's where we're a little bit different. We got a coach. We got a quarterback, sure. We got two quarterbacks, even. And we have a nucleus of young talent. Even some of the veteran players you brought in, guys like Alshon Jeffrey, they're not that they're not that veteran. They're still a little bit young. And you have a lot of talent on this team that's locked up. And this same team's pretty much coming back next year. And Vegas is already putting the Patriots as the favorites. But guess who's right behind them? The Philadelphia Eagles. So I think it's a joke that they think the Patriots are going to be there. That team's already falling apart. You saw today that uh, Josh McDaniels, there was speculation that 
he's going to go take the job in Indianapolis. It looks like a sure thing. They hire coaches, and then he backs out. He backs out, and he stays with New England because there's something going on with this Bill Belichick thing. I don't think Brady trusts Belichick, which is why he wants to keep McDaniels around. And I think that was a completely Brady-driven move. And Brady, let me tell you something else. He may have been a stud in the Super Bowl and put up 500-something yards, but the cliff is coming. And it's going to come hard, and it's going to come fast. And the Patriots are going to invest all this shit around Tom Brady, and it's going to collapse and crush them to death. But then out of the ashes of the Patriots will be born the Eagles dynasty. Because I do believe that this coaching staff and these players, they'll be determined to get back there again. Because now they have a taste. It's like once you get a taste, you don't want anything else. And now you know how to work hard to get there. I think you can emulate it. And I and maybe it's it's not going to be a magical run like it was this time. It'll be a little bit harder to, to do it. It'll be a little bit harder to get there. And the monkey's going to be on Carson's back now because he's going to be like, hey, I got us halfway there, but I didn't take us the whole way, and I want to do that. That's just the kind of guy Carson Wentz is. So the stage is set. The cards are all there. We just got to play the hand. And we got to show up next season ready to go, and I really do think that this could be the start of a beautiful thing. And while it'll never live up to what this championship meant, the more you win, the better you feel. And the more bragging rights you got. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to the parade. Because this party ain't over. We got a lot of more celebrating to do. And I wasn't able to be with you guys during the game. Because it's a family affair. But the parade is a, a an affair for us all. We shall enjoy it together. And I look forward to it. Now I hope you enjoyed this little recap. I know I was a little long-winded. And probably all over the place. And maybe I didn't say things the right way. But... It's fucking impossible to. All I know, and all I can assure you of, and the only thing I can say in summation is that we're Super Bowl champions, baby. And tomorrow you're going to wake up a Super Bowl champion. The day after that, a Super Bowl champion. All next year, you're the defending Super Bowl fucking champions. And doesn't it feel good, boys? And hopefully it's the, the first of many more championships to come to this town. Maybe this is the start of a great great thing I used to pray for times like this to rhyme like this so I had to grind like that to shine like this in a matter of time I spent on some locked up shit in the back of the paddy wagon cuz locked on wrist see my dreams unfold nightmares come true it was time to marry the game and I said yeah I do if you want it you gotta see it with a clear eye view Got shorty, she try and bless me like I said I'd chew Like a nigga sneeze, nigga please for them tricky squeeze I'm getting cream, never let them hoes get in between Or what we started, little nigga but I'm lying hearted They love me when I was stuck and they hit it When I departed, I go and get it regardless Draw it like I'm an artist, no crawling Went straight to walking with foreigns in my garages Or foreign bitches menaging, fucking sucking and swallowing Anything for a dollar, they tell me get him, I got him Got him I did it without an album I did shit with Mariah Lil' nigga, I'm on fire Icy as a hockey ring, Philly nigga, I'm flyer When I bought the Rolls Royce, they thought it was lease Then I bought that new Ferrari, hey, to rest in peace Hey, to rest in peace, rest in peace to the parking lot Phantom so big, can't even fit in the parking spot You ain't talking about my niggas, then what you talking about? Gangsters move in silence, nigga, and I don't talk a lot I don't say a word, 
I don't say a word was on my ground and now I got what I deserve, fuck nigga Hold up, wait a minute, y'all thought I was finished When I bought the ass tomorrow, y'all thought it was rented Flexing on these niggas, I'm like Papa on the spinach Double M, yeah, that's my T. Rose, hey, the captain, I'm lieutenant I'm the type of kind of men, cast and grind like I'm broke That Lambo, my new bitch, she don't ride like my ghost I'm riding around my city with my hands strapped on my toes Cause these niggas want me dead, and I gotta make it back home Cause my mama need that bill, money, my son needs some milk These niggas try to take my life, they fuck around, get killed You fuck around, you fuck around, you fuck around, get smoked Cause these Philly niggas I bought with me don't fuck around, no joke, no If you ain't about that murder game, then pussy nigga shut up If you dip me in your ass, I get your pussy ass stuck up When you touch down in my hood, know that toy life ain't good Catch me down in M.I.A. At that heat game on wood With that pull my life on my feet, like that little engine I could Boy, I slide down in your block, back on 12 o'clock And they be throwing deuces on the same nigga they watch And I'm the king of my city, cause I'm still calling them shots And these lanes talking that bullshit, the same niggas that flop I'm the same nigga from first Street with them that braids that lock the same nigga that came up and I had to wait for my spot And these niggas hating on me, hoes waiting on me Still on that hood shit, my Rolls Royce on E They gon' remember me, I say remember me So much money at your friends turn to your enemies And when this beef I turn my enemies to memories With them bricks they go for 40, ain't no 10 to key Hold up, broke nigga turn rich, love the game like Mitch And if I leave you think dumb pretty hoes gon' still suck my dick It was something about that rollie when it first touched my wrist Had me feeling like that dope boy when he first touched that brick I'm gone Super Bowl fucking champions, but